We don't deserve you, God. There's nothing that we have done which makes us worthy of you. But you are such a good, good father. It's who you are, and because of that, we can be loved. Thank you for that amazing love, that that willingness to make us worthy, not because of what we do, but because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Taff. It's been a, a busy week this week. And, you know, I wanted to start with something which, as we were singing, made me think of. You know, it was 21 years ago, older than some of these young people on the stage, 21 years ago yesterday, I was baptized. 21 years ago, I made a decision to follow Jesus with all of my heart because he is that good, good father. And it, as I was sitting there, it's, I couldn't help going back to that day. You know, we had a baptism a couple weeks ago, and I it was going back to that day, and it was just bringing those memories back to to what it felt like when I was a new Christian. Sometimes after 20 years or so, we get set in our ways. We get complacent. But we need to get that hunger, that love, that burning desire in our heart again for Jesus. Because it's only when we do that that we can reach people for Jesus. Well, that was an aside. That wasn't in my notes. And you know, we've been in this series for the past 10 weeks. Can you believe it's been 10 weeks since I started this series? I can't, but that also means I need to figure out what we're going to do after this. But it's been 10 10 weeks since we've been going through the book of Proverbs. You know, we started this series with a look at what the best question ever was. Do you remember what that question was? It's been 10 weeks now, but if you can remember, type it in the the comments if you're watching online, and I'm going to go back, and maybe somebody will get a shout out if you can remember it. Now, I'm going to look at when you type it in there, so I'll know if you've waited until after I've told you what it was and typed it in, so don't cheat. Um, But I told you what the best question was 10 weeks ago, and that question is this. What is the best question? the wise thing to do. What's the wise thing to do? And that really is the best question. Now, obviously, there are a lot of important questions in our lives. Should I take that job? Is she the one for me? Does God want me to move? Should I buy it or should I lease it? Or Should I stay or should I go? That's an old song for some of you older people. So, but asking this one question, that best question, what is the wise thing to do is what will help you to answer all of the other questions. See, that's why the Bible highlights wisdom so much. And that's why we've taken the last 10 weeks to walk through the book of Proverbs, that great wisdom book, 
to figure out what to do and what the wise thing to do. We've looked at wisdom on parenting and marriage, relationships and sex, money and work. But here at the end of the series, we've turned our attentions to our mouth, our speech, what we say. And the, and the reason why we did that, because there's more in the book of Proverbs about this topic, what we say, than anything else on any other subject. And here's the money verse. We saw it last week. Proverbs 18.21 says this, words kill, words give life. They, uh, they're either poison or fruit, you choose. See, with that in mind, last week we looked at God's wisdom for what not to say. And see, Proverbs laid out a a simple set of instructions for us. First, talk less, a lot less. And then second, eliminate hurtful, and harmful language, specifically gossip and lying. See, this week, we're going to look at God's wisdom for what to say. And the headline is this, speak words that bring life. Life Life-giving words. Words that heal and don't wound. Words that build up instead of tearing down. So let me give you a sampling of these words. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 10, where it says this, the mouth of a good person is a deep life-giving well, but the mouth of the wicked is a dark cave of abuse. Then in Proverbs 12, it says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Also in chapter 15, but this time verse 4, it says, kind words heal and help. Cutting words wound and maim. Then Proverbs 16 puts it this way. It says, the wise are known for their understanding and pleasant words are persuasive. From a wise mind comes wise speech. The words of the wise are persuasive. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. See, the idea is it's all through the Bible. And in fact, in the, New, in the New Testament, the apostle Paul wrote these words in the book of Ephesians. He said, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I also like how it's this same verse is in the message paraphrase. It, it says it this way there. It says, watch the way you talk. 
Say only what helps. Each word is a gift. Let's unpack this a little bit. See, first, before we talk about how to speak life-giving words, let's make sure we know what life-taking words are. See, one of the most famous conflicts in all of history is is between Winston Churchill and Lady Astor. They did not get along. In fact, you could say they're almost bitter enemies. And one day, Lady Astor says to Winston Churchill, Winston, if I were married to you, I'd put poison in your coffee. To which Winston Churchill responded, Lady Astor? If you were my wife, I'd drink it. See, they got along so bad that on another occasion, Churchill once came to the House of Commons rather inebriated. Lady Astor was there and she recognized it and she said, Winston, you are drunk. Churchill shouted back and said, and you, Lady Astor, are ugly. And then he thought for a minute, And he added, in the morning, at least I'll be sober. See, Proverbs is very specific about life taking words. Proverbs 10 says, the mouth of the wicked is a dark cave of abuse. And 15.1 put it said, harsh words make tempers flare. 15.4 says, cutting words wound and maim. See, life-taking words, they're cutting, they're abusive, they're provoking, they tear you down, they put you down, and they beat you down. They hurt, they wound, and they maim. So let me give you two big ones, two big life-taking things to think about. The first is criticism. Now, if we're honest, we can all benefit from constructive criticism, but sometimes it just isn't very constructive. Sometimes it's just plain old criticism. You see, for it to be constructive, it needs to be more than just an assessment. It needs to be solution-based. And the person needs to feel supported and served. Otherwise, all you're doing is fault-finding. So ask yourself, am I complaining and critiquing, or am I helping and encouraging? See, here's the test. Is what you're saying, is it going to build them up or tear them down? Is it filled with grace and understanding or judgment and condemnation. There's a big difference between constructive criticism and destructive criticism. And parents, nowhere is this more important than in the home. See, a study which revealed that 42% of today's teenagers fail to hear regular words of praise from their families. Half of them could not remember the last time they were hugged or kissed. 
54% could not remember when their, if their parents had ever even said, I love you. Instead, all they heard was, can't you do anything right? What's wrong with you? Why can't you be more like your sister? For every one negative thing that you say to a child, every one negative thing you say, it takes four positive statements from a parent to even keep an even balance. It takes four to just stay level. Here's a second area to think about. I'll call it the comment. You make a comment about something, maybe it's a throwaway line, a, a passing dig, just a little bit of a jab. We say, sure, he's an excellent salesman, but you know, just isn't very sincere. Yeah, she's smart, but she doesn't have any common sense. There's, then there's also the reversal approach. Someone who does a good job and we cast a shadow over it by questioning their motive. For example, somebody makes an effort to do something nice and, and all you say is, well, he was just trying to impress the rest of us. Or, yeah, but I mean, he doesn't really mean it. Then there's the unfavorable comparison game. Someone does something good or noteworthy and we instantly begin to compare it to something better. So John nails a project at work and we say, well, you should have seen what Bill did with his account. Or somebody's kid makes all A's and you say, well, my kid did that, but they're in honors classes. Then there's also the tone with what we, how we say it. Someone's gone from work and we say, I don't know where she is. Or he says he forgot. See, life-taking words aren't just the ones that are blatant. They can be much more subtle through criticism and comments. Now, if those are examples of life taking words. What kind of words give life? The verses we read earlier tell us the answer to that question too. It says in Proverbs 10, the mouth of a good person is a deep life-giving well. The words of the wise bring healing, it says in Proverbs 12. See, obviously, there are many kinds of words that build up and encourage. But there are two specifically mentioned in these verses. Words that give life and words that heal. See, first I want to talk about words that give life. To give life is to inspire, to encourage in fact, that's what the word literally means for inspiration. It means to breathe into someone, to say things that spur them on, to keep going, to keep trying, to keep moving even when life is hard. It's words 
that give them energy when otherwise they feel drained. Then there are words that bring healing. Words, you see, words should be therapeutic, full of grace, full of forgiveness, full of love. And it makes me think that many of you in this church at one time or another have sent me a text message that you probably think means absolutely nothing to me. But it does. You see, even in this role, life gets hard. And many of you have sent text messages that have lifted my spirits. Many of those I've saved to go back, and you don't even know that you've done it. But those words bring healing. So send those to someone who needs healing. Now let's state the obvious. Knowing all of this is absolutely meaningless if you don't do anything about it. You are surrounded with people who need to be inspired who need to be healed. And you, each and every one of you, can be the one who does it. You can say to them those words that lift them up, that give them life. You can give them those words. You can send them a text message, write them a letter. You can send them an email that will help to heal their broken life. That's the challenge. That's why we look at the book of Proverbs. Because there are people who need you. The question is, will you fulfill it? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for all that you've shown us through the book of Proverbs all that you have given us, all the wisdom that we have been able to get for the last 10 weeks. But Lord, as we come to the end and we look at those life-giving words, help us to accept that challenge, to be the person to inspire, to help heal someone else, someone who's hurting, someone who needs our word. Help us to accept that challenge. Help us to never shrink away from it. Help us to always model you to those that we come into contact with. Help us to be your servants. In Jesus' name.